Merry Christmas. Let me hear a big ho, ho, ho. Not everyone has a pastor that looks like Santa, so you're a blast today. today. Well, as Christians, you can say your lives are about waiting, right? We can say we wait on the Lord, and we wait, and we wait to wait, tick, 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 to wait on the Lord. It's what we do. What are we waiting on? The return of Christ Jesus to come and take his people to heaven. Christians, those who believed on Christ Jesus as their Savior, the Son of God, what we call a time when Jesus will appear, the Advent. Now, to be clear, that's the second advent, what we're talking about, when he returns to take his people home. Christians that believe uh, uh, this world is not your home. Amen? No, no, no. You, you need to put your mind here. This world is not your home. Amen? King David prayed this prayer. Uh, he said this to God, and we believe this too. First Chronicles 29, verse 15. He said this, For we are aliens and temporary residents in your presence, as were all our ancestors. Our days on the earth are like a shadow without hope. Uh, we call this series... Uh, this Christmas series, this Christmas time, Advent, living in between. Because the first Christmas was the first Advent to come. Jesus, the baby born in a stable, born to the Virgin Mother Mary, He was the true God who came to redeem His people from their sin. And for Christ's followers, we live in the in-between. The already that he has come, but the not yet that he has not come back. We live in the in-between. And so many Christians have thought Christmas was about celebrating Christmas. And it is, and yet it's celebrating so much more. It has always been about celebrating the second advent. And Christians have forgot about that. God's people who waited for the coming of the Messiah, we can look back to the advent and let it reveal who God is to us. God who loved us enough to come from heaven to humble himself into the body of a baby, to literally purchase our freedom with his life on the cross through his blood at Calvary. This is what the birth of Jesus Christ is all about. So that one day, His people can go home. Meanwhile, well, we wait. We wait. But waiting on the Lord is not doing nothing. Waiting is not watching your watch. It's, it's not trying to kill time. It's how do we live our lives right now? I mean, the way we wait is critical. It is what Scripture reveals to us. It's why we study every week the Bible, and a lot of us study it every day. We wait for the return of Christ. We are wanting to know God's character. Waiting for the Lord is not what most Christians believe it to be. I think most Christians think waiting for Christ in the return is just living life with a little bit of Jesus added into it. You know what I mean? Like saying, well, this is a nice thing, and maybe if I don't drink too much, if I don't cuss enough or too much, 
Uh, you know, maybe it's a Freudian slip there for us. And maybe if I come to church a little bit more often around Christmas and Easter, they try to do this, live a little bit more Jesus in their lives. I guess what I'm saying is that waiting for most Christians seems to be living life for themselves and say, what will make me happy? That I'm in the center of this world. How can I be happy? But Jesus says that won't work. He said just flat won't work. Jesus himself says this in Matthew 16. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What's he mean? What's he mean? It's telling, isn't it? It's the truth claim Jesus is making. It's exclusive truth claim. Meaning another truth claim cannot be the same that differs with this. Jesus is right. As we look back, we study this first advent. We see this picture of what waiting is all about. They had been waiting for a couple of thousand years. And in the last 400 years before the birth, there had been no word, no prophetic word from anyone. Time after time in Scripture, we see people who come across Jesus in this first advent. Those who believe the direction of their life changes, the trajectory is no longer the same. They physically go different places and spiritually go different places. They meet Jesus and it changes. And then there are those who meet Jesus and their lives are not different. They don't believe. Last week we studied together chapter 1 of Matthew. As Matthew recounts the story of Jesus' birth, how how Jesus was born to Mary, right? Physically, Mary gives birth to Jesus, but that Mary had conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit had come on her and that this, this child was fully God and yet fully man. We're going to look at that next week. And we finished last week by looking through the eyes of Joseph. Wasn't that cool? To see what he, his perspective was. How Joseph, he had planned to leave Mary. Just quietly to walk away. Not to have her stoned. To walk away from his bride price that he had paid. Because he knew the baby was not his. But the angel had explained that this child in Mary's tummy. Tummy was indeed conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And more than that, this, this child was in fact God. The Messiah come to save the world. We marveled. We marveled at the switch in Joseph's, Joseph's faith. How Joseph had combined his waiting for the Messiah and the revelation from this angel in to faith that his baby, this baby in Mary's womb was the son of God and he acted on that faith. And, and how Joseph proved, and, and hear my words, he proved his love in the way that he lived because his trajectory had changed. He took Mary to be his wife. He let the world assume that the child was his. To cover the perceived shame of Mary, he says, I will take the shame. And this and his reverence for Jesus in that he physically did not consummate the marriage with Mary until after the birth of Jesus. Joseph proves his love for Jesus, his belief in that he names him Jesus according to what God had said. 
But I think the biggest proof is that he would spend the rest of his life living literally for Jesus, taking care of his physical needs along with Mary, protecting them, being the father. Joseph would give up his plans and his will, his purpose for living to say, your will be done, God, not my will. Let's see what happens next in chapter 2 of Matthew. But first, let's pray. Would you bow your head as we lift our time up? Mm. Holy Father, God in heaven, make your glorious uh, name known in our world today. God, uh, as we gather to here and want to see you, we we want to understand who you are. We want to know your character. We want to see your face. And God, our prayer is that as we study your words, this holy scripture, your character would refine us, that it would give us a new heart and a new mind. Father God, I know that this time of year has such an impact on our minds and our schedules. Uh, we are a busy people, God, and with all this Christmas stuff going around us, we're even more busy than regular, God, but help us to slow down right now. Help us to set our minds on you. We ask that your Holy Spirit be in this place, in us, and help us to focus our attention for these next few minutes on you. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, amen. amen. Well, let's take a look at our Bible. I want to encourage you to read through the story of Advent. The first one, the birth of Christ. It's our family's tradition uh, to read this Christmas morning before we do anything else. Well, we make coffee because God is on his throne. But then, but then we read through the story. Now, if you don't do this, I would like you to try this. Now, here's where you can find the Christmas story. The Christmas story can be found in Luke 2, 1 through 20. That's where you're going to want to read with little kids for sure, right? So sit down, read this before you open toys, before you open presents. Read this story. If you don't have a Bible, see me after the service. I'll get one to you, okay? The other one is Matthew chapter 1 and 2. That's where we've been for this series. I would encourage you to read that one as well. To set the stage for today, we believe Jesus is born about year 5 or year 6 B.C. Uh, we pick up the story two years after the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem that we read about, that we read about in Luke 2, right? However, Matthew Chapter 2 tells us an additional story that Luke does not have. Now, Matthew comes from a Jewish perspective. Luke comes from a Gentile perspective. But I want you to look. Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 2. But look at this. Jesus, and some of you are confused, like he was born in year 5 or 6. Now, here's the thing. Remember, uh, you go B.C., it counts backwards to year 0, Right? And so five or six, we're not sure in there. And you go, I thought he, he was born at year zero. That's what they were planning uh, when they did the calendars. But somewhere in the Middle Ages, it kind of got off there. So that's why it's year five or six. Theologians agree with this. Here's what you need to see. Verse one, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, 
Hang on right there. Jesus has been born in a stable, right? But now, two years later, he's in a house. Mary and Joseph are with Jesus in a house, but still living in the same little town, Bethlehem. Now, I'm being specific about times and years here for a very important reason, because I want you to see something, how this comes together. Remember, we are talking about waiting on Jesus in our lives. How do we wait on Jesus? I want us to watch these people that wait for the Messiah and once they discover who Jesus is or who he claims to be, how they react. So I want you to watch the, the players in the story today. Look at the players with me. King Herod was this king during this time. He was backed up by the Roman military might. Now, he was not the Caesar. He was not the big king, right, over all of the Roman Empire, but over this area where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are. By the way, those two cities, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, are about five miles apart. What's interesting about Herod is he is not a Jewish king. And you know, yes, he is. He's the king of the Jews. No, he's not. I mean, he doesn't have physical Jewish blood, and yet he claimed to practice the Jewish religion, although just for show. He was an Edomite, but he had been raised to practice Judaism, but for a political reason. There are some people that practice Christianity for political reasons, right? But what he was a... Uh, but. He was a follower of God in name only. Books have been written about this guy. I, I would love to give you a, a whole lecture history lesson. And forgive me, my family, I always do that. I tell them everything about Herod and all the, the side stuff. He ruled with an iron fist. Rome, the, the empire loved him because he got the job done. If you're in government, we say we love you when you make the trains run on time. You know what I mean? Like you make everything in government work. They loved him because he got everything done. And he collected the taxes. But the Roman Senate, they loved him uh, because he kept the Jewish people under control. And no one else could do that. And he was bloody. He collected the taxes, kept them under control. And so the Roman Senate had given Herod the official title. You know what it was? Herod, king of the Jews. He was a great builder and that he built and rebuilt a ton of buildings, including the Jewish temple, the second temple. Solomon's temple had been torn down and then been rebuilt, but it was kind of a shabby job. Let's just be honest. And so he had it rebuilt even grander than even Solomon's temple. Now, when I say he was a killer, you know, we're talking in the thousands, but here's the thing. He was so paranoid that he wanted to protect his rule. He would divorce the love of his life to marry uh, a woman for political reasons. That's not too unusual. In the end, he would have them both killed because of the threat to his rule. Just a few days before his death, he would have one of his own sons that he loved killed for threat to his rule. Herod was powerful. He was so paranoid, though, about losing his throne. Historians say he collected the most loyal troops. Now, here's the thing. Not just Roman troops, but crack Israeli Jewish troops that were hardened in battle, but loyal to him. 
he kept 2,000 of them on guard in his palace, living with him at all times. They served him in this lavish palace that looked out over the city to this wonderful temple. You get the picture? Now, that's Herod, okay? So watch the second half of this verse. Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know a ton about these guys. What we know, though, is fascinating. The Greek word for them is magos or magi. What we know is that there were these guys were wealthy. Not explicitly we know that from Scripture. We can infer that stuff. They had great wisdom through the investigation of the stars and the planets. What we would think of is science and astrology and astronomy. Kind of those two melded together. They literally tracked the heavenly bodies and wrote them down. That's why we think they were wealthy. They didn't have to raise money for food or things like that. They were wealthy guys. They go, hey, let's track the stars. That's what wealthy guys do right the rest of its work it's like they were it's likely they were from the country or the area of Babylon uh, where they would have had tons of contact with Jewish exiles here's what you need to understand the Jews had this thing called the diaspora in other words they were uh, dispersed through the known world and then some of them were regathered back but that's why Jews are all over the world even now. We see them coming back to Jerusalem now. Very interesting. But there was a large contingent of Jewish royals, the smartest people that ran the government that had been exported to Babylon and many of them had stayed. Think of uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel. And so these guys are from Babylon, but they are not Jews, but they would have known the Jewish scriptures. This had been a hub for Jewish religious leaders. These guys know the promise that you know about, that the Messiah is coming. He is promised. And then they combine that with what they know about the stars moving. And then they see a star that does not move according to the plan. Well, stars move, but not like this one. They connect the meaning of what has happened with the stars, and they make an expensive trip across the desert, a dangerous trip, to, um, to Jerusalem from modern-day Iraq, or maybe as far away as Persia. They arrive in the city with a pretty large entourage just to travel across the desert, just to carry the food and the water and the supplies. There's not a lot of Walmarts to stop at. And so they bring all of these extra people. We don't know how many there were, but we think there were probably a few and then a big entourage of guards and those guys to protect them. Now, they come to the royal palace where Herod rules. And they ask him a question. Remember Herod, he is like, man, he'll kill anybody that is threatening his rule, right? And they apparently, they think he knows the answer to this question. Look in verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, when they ask this question in the palace, I just picture this, you could have heard a pen drop. Because everyone goes, uh, don't, don't, ask, don't ask him that question. Don't do it. Don't ask him the question. They say, for we saw his star at, this, at its rising and have come to worship him. 
Now remember, Herod had been given the title king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. But he didn't have the royal bloodline of the kings of Israel or Judah, King David. And he knew it. He was an Edomite, a literal enemy of the Jewish people. But these magos were claiming that a child had been born. Now who is, who is born king of the Jews? Now, see if this makes sense. Most kings become kings after their father or mother that were the ruling monarch, they die, right? And, you know, we're, we're, we're watching for uh, when the queen of England passes away in her 90s, so, right, her son uh, becomes king. God help England, right? And here's what is different about Jesus other than every king. Write this down. Jesus is born king of the Jews. It's not like he has to ascend to the throne. He is born the ruler. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Herod had been raised as a Jew, even though he wasn't one. So in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Oh, what an understatement. And all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would Jerusalem be deeply disturbed? Because when King Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You, you see what I mean? People are going to die. They've seen it. When he's not happy, people die. So they're going, oh man, this is bad news. You're about to see uh, this just unfold. The entire city is in turmoil. Every one of these guys you're seeing right now, Herod, the people, all these things, they are seeking their own happiness and joy, just like you and I do, right? Now, we've been kind of going on a historical bend, right? right? I've been going, ah, here's what you need to think. This is the historical stuff, but let's change this. Let's go deeply spiritual. This is going to freak some of you out, okay? Just hang on to your seat there. This is going to freak some of you out. Write this down. King Herod was used by Satan to guard the earth from the promised Messiah. Some of you are going, oh, Paul, you had, you, we, it was going so good. Why'd you have to bring up Satan and all that stuff, right? I just want you to see what's really happening. This is the real story behind the story. Remember how he, uh, we had been talking about all these people waiting for the promised one to come, right? They're going, come, Lord Jesus. Remember that? We've been talking about this. Now, there were wait, they were waiting for a Savior that first advent. Jesus had snuck into the earth through this blue-collar construction worker and his teenage wife, right? Satan never saw this coming. But Satan and his angels know the prophecies too. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, the very start of the Bible, Satan himself, as he had appeared to Adam and Eve to tempt them with the fruit as in the form of a serpent, had been cursed by God. His judgment, when he had been found out, do you remember? That one day, a redeemer would be born from the line of this woman, Eve. And that, that one day, this redeemer, this Messiah, would crush, boom, the head of this serpent, right? But that, that the serpent would bruise the heel of the Messiah. Now, Satan is close to this hairy guy. Maybe, maybe even possessing him. 
But the point is, Satan is going to use Herod to protect his reign of evil on the earth. So Herod is going to do what he does best. He's going to eliminate the competition. You ready? Verse 4. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. Now remember my little story about the chief priest a couple of weeks ago, thinking about all the long-promised uh, prophecies of when would he come, and he's getting his donkey ready to go. You remember that? He was being summoned by the king. That's who Herod wants to talk to. So all the chief priests, this is not just every uh, rabbi, this is all of the top guys, 71 guys in total. He says, come, and when the king calls, what do you do? You come, you come. So all the chief priests are there with Herod, and he asks them where the Messiah child would be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And they quote him, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now these guys know their scripture. They know their prophecies. These are the learned. Now, remember Bethlehem is only how many miles away? Five miles away from them as they speak this prophecy. Verse 7 and 8. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now, why does Herod summon the Magos, the Magi, secretly? He doesn't want the people to know what he's about to tell them. He brings them in without the pageantry. He brings them in the back door. He doesn't want the people to know. Now, remember, people are waiting for the Messiah. They don't like Herod. They don't like the Romans. He doesn't want even the possibility of the people rising up and making this kid king and losing his rule. Herod says to these guys, guys, go and search carefully for this child. So when you find him, report back to me so, so that I can come and worship him too. What's interesting is these guys did not know where to go, the, the magi. The chief priest did, but the Magi did not know. Who tells them where to go? Herod does. I think that's like a slap in the face by God to, to Herod. God. I'm going I'm to send them to worship, and I'm going to use you, Herod, to give them the information. So check this out. So they go and find Jesus in Bethlehem. But watch what happens. This is fascinating. After hearing the king, they went on their way. This is the Magos, the Magi. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. Now, this is going to change stuff for you. Some of you have looked at this. I know I've looked at this a certain way. I want to challenge you. They take the first steps, and suddenly the star appears again. How do we know that? Because it said, had seen had seen, in the past, had seen. 
The star had gotten them close. They go to the capital city of Jerusalem where the thought, they thought the king would be. We don't know how long it had been since they had seen the star. Now here's the challenge. Sometimes we get our theology from Facebook posts, right? Little pictures of the wise men walking across the desert with the star. I actually don't think they saw the star except at the very first. This is why. Don't miss this. They had faith from this little bit of knowledge. They are not Jews. They are Gentiles. But they knew a little bit of Scripture of the long-promised Messiah. And they acted in faith, knowing where the Jewish capital was. They're watching all the normal movements of the stars. A star rises. They combine that with their knowledge of that star shouldn't be there. And somehow, we don't know how, they say a king has been born. It does not say they followed the star. They followed the message of the star. Are you with me? Once they set out from Jerusalem, though, the star they had seen reappears and begins to move. Now, stars don't move like that, but this one did. We don't know what it was. Look at the second half of verse 9. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Oh, man. Don't let... Don't let this slip by you. They're overwhelmed with joy. They haven't seen Jesus. They haven't seen the Messiah. They're overwhelmed with seeing the star again and it moving. They've gone all the way across the desert without seeing the star again. It's why, it's why they went to Jerusalem. They just go there because that's where the kings reside. Everyone knows that. They were overwhelmed with joy. And even this is a prophecy fulfilled. Psalms 40 verse 16, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. Let's just test that out. If you love the salvation Jesus, would you just say with me, The Lord is is great. One more time. The Lord is great. By the way, people go, why do you guys like jam and worship and sing? Because of this. Because the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Sometimes we sing soft, we make it beautiful. Sometimes we sing loud, we make it beautiful that way. These guys haven't even found the house yet and they're overwhelmed with joy. But watch what happens when they find, where's my coffee? When they find this house where Jesus is, right? Everybody take a drink of coffee. This is a good break. And everyone said, amen. All right, look at this. Verse 11, Jesus is about two. Picture toddler Jesus, right? He's about two. They find the house. They walk in. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The worst, they worshipped Jesus. This is just an odd picture. They worship a two-year-old. You know, like snot running down his face, his hair, like two-year-old's hair is everywhere, right? She can't keep him clean. He's always in the dirt. But these guys... They can't stand up. 
They, they just get on their knees. Does this remind you of the book of Revelation and that, that scene of the throne room where Jesus is on the throne and the elders, uh, the elders are all around on their thrones and they start worshiping. The elders go, we can't handle it anymore. We got to throw our crowns down. We got to worship right now. Everybody just worship. That's what's happening here. These guys believe and the result of true belief is worship. The result of true belief is worship. And let me explain what I mean. Notice I didn't say just believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I just said belief, and I mean that. Because let's be brutally honest, okay? This is going to hurt. You will worship what you believe is true. You will arrange your life to sacrifice the things you value for something you believe is true. Those magos, those magi fall down and they present him with their gifts from their wealth. They said, this is, this is the nicest thing we can get you. By the way, we don't know how many there were, right? We think there were three because there's three different kinds of gifts, but that's where we get the number from. We just know what they did and what they gave. Oh, by the way, I mean, we could preach a whole series here and a, a whole message on the kinds of gifts and each one, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are beautiful gifts for a king. And this is, you can read about King David years before, hundreds of years before, that they gave him these same things. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you got on your knees and worshiped? Just, just mark it up in your mind. Like, when was it? Was it yesterday? Was it like last Christmas? Uh, you go, well, Paul, it's been a few years. When was the last time you like raised your hands in worship? Like giving back to God the wealth that He gave you. Like giving. When was the last time you gave? And some of you are like, just a minute ago, I just got down on my knees. What, what made these guys believe and get down on their knees? Here's the thing. Sometimes people raise their hands and people around them are like, <laughs> you know, they, they're like, what, is that thing going to rub off on you? Here's what they're doing. And, and you may not realize it. But worship, when we sing, is a voluntary act. No one makes you start singing, right? You, you sing. You think uh, you're, you're going to sing and you start to sing. Raising your hands, clapping, kneeling down. Those are all physical things that we decide to do because we love the king. Do you see what I mean? Some of you struggle so bad you go, man, I'm... Like, I love you, Jesus. I just don't love you enough to, like, embarrass myself. You know what I mean? Sorry that that hurts, but it's also true. Some of you, 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 you need to get down on your knees and, and, and worship. You go, Paul, we're just not that kind of church. Baby, we should be. We should be a church that is sold out for Jesus that goes, I don't care what I look like. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes... Sometimes I come to church with the wrong attitude. I know that never happens to you guys. Sometimes I come to church and I'm thinking about all the problems that I got going. Uh, and then I look over and I see brothers and sisters just pouring out to God. They're like lifting their hands. They're like going, I'm going to, I'm going to offer this sacrifice of worship right now. And you know what it does? It inspires me too. And so what I do is 
I don't feel it right now, but I'm going to sing. I'm going to raise my hands. I may even get down on my knees. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to do all this. Guess what happens every time? My heart turns. I go, I'm in the presence of the king with my brothers and sisters. By the way, we can worship one, uh, just us alone. Yeah, we can, but not like this. This is corporate worship. This is why we come to church together two different times. Baby, if we could, I'd have everybody together at one time. Just because I love you and I love to worship with you. Here's the thing. Once you meet Jesus, I mean meet him. Like believe him, you know what I mean? You are different. And, and if you're not different, you probably didn't meet Jesus. Like Joseph and Mary, the trajectory of their life changes because they meet Jesus. Look at this in verse 12. And, and being warned in a dream not to go back to, the Her to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Even these pagan guys, they meet Jesus. They go home a different way. Why? Because they met Jesus. When you meet Jesus as Savior and Lord, it changes you. It changes your plans for the future. God warns them not to go back. Why? Because Herod has got some horrible plans. Look at verse 13. See if I can get that to work. Oh, you love technology. There we go. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt to stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so, they, so that what was spoken by the prophet, sound familiar? The Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt I called by son. We could spend hours here. I'm not joking, but let me just spend just a few minutes. Joseph may not have been his physical daddy, but he was a daddy nonetheless. And notice he said, get up. Come on, Joseph. Pack your bags. Go. Where's your go bag? Get everything together. Everybody's hair's messed up. Everybody's, going. Everybody's sleeping. Joseph's going, hey, hurry, hurry. He's getting them out the door. He's getting ready to go. He protects his his family. He leads them. Why? Because he's the daddy. That's what daddies do. And listen, listen, daddies, if you're not leading your family spiritually, you are not protecting them. Here's the thing. Hear me. Hear me. I love you, but man up. Pull close to Jesus. Quit making excuses for not leading your family spiritually. Look at how Matthew, the narrator of the story, points out this. He fulfills the words of the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Remember in verse 16, he says, Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. This is not good. This is not good. He gave the orders to massacre all the boys around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. In keeping with the time, he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through, the prof, through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, listen to this, weeping and, gnash, weeping and great mourning. Rachel 
weeping for her children. Can you picture those mothers weeping? And she refused to be consoled because they are no more. I picture this, the baby gone, pulled out from these young mother's hands and the dad trying to comfort the mother. And she's like, get away. I don't want to be comforted. They're just weeping there. This is known as the slaughter of the innocents. Why? Herod killed these, the family that he loved to protect his rule. Certainly, he was going to let, not let this child live. And if a few children have to die, well, that's the price of his throne. At the same time, I want you to know what's really happening. Satan is desperately trying to keep the Messiah out of his realm. He knows the end is coming. Matthew is quoting from Jeremiah 31, 15. Don't let this go by. He was originally talking, Jeremiah, way, way back in 31, 15, was originally talking about the crying of mothers who had had their young sons pulled away from them and sent away into the diaspora. Remember I talked about that earlier? They would never see them again. So they were weeping in this. Don't miss what Matthew is telling us. Israel, God's people, are in bondage against, again to sin and needed a redeemer. They were estranged from God and needed saving, just like you and me. What fascinates me is this, is that Jeremiah 31 has the weeping of these mothers but that same chapter ends with a joyous promise that God would say, the old covenant was this way, the law, but I will bring a new covenant and I will bring a Messiah and permanently forgive their sins. In fact, I will write the law on their hearts. That's in the same chapter. Some of you are putting this together. And here in Matthew 2, we have Jewish mothers again weeping for their sons. You're going, what's the big deal? But a promise of the literal new covenant, the birth of Jesus, who would establish his kingdom forever, who would purchase our freedom, who would bring peace between God and us. A question I got in the past, I didn't know how to answer it, but now I do. I get it fairly often. Pastor Paul, why... This world is so evil. There's so many bad things in this world. Why doesn't God do something about it? That's the question, right? Maybe you're asking that. In my answer, uh, I didn't used to know what to answer, but then I realized, I go, he did. He did do something about it. And he's doing something about it. We are waiting in the in-between of the advents for Jesus to return, to lead his people home. He has come. He has paid our debt for those who believe and follow him. Look at verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. Underline verse 20 in your Bible. I'll show you this. So he got up and took the child and his mother and he entered the land of Israel. Check this out, check this out. This is going to blow your mind. The angel's words are almost exactly identical to words that were very old. The words that, that God spoke from the burning bush to Moses. It's almost a direct quote. 
What I'm saying is this alludes to this idea of Jesus being a type of Moses. Or should I say that Moses was a type of Christ. Some of you are getting this. Jesus would come up out of Egypt to lead his people home to the promised land. Just like Moses led his people to the promised land. But baby, our promised land is much better. Jesus would come up out of Egypt. Let me close with just a few thoughts for us and then we'll celebrate our time of communion. We live in the in-between. Jesus is coming again. We're waiting for His return. Amen? Amen? But waiting is not just waiting. It's not just sitting there twiddling our thumbs. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.33. He says, But first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. He's talking about your physical things, your, your things of the earth. He's saying you don't have to even worry about that. If you seek my kingdom... How do we seek His kingdom? To wait for uh, the Messiah as believers means we seek His kingdom. We live in righteousness to put His life, His kingdom foremost in our life. By sharing the gospel to those in our sphere of influence and anybody else that we come in contact with. Following the commands of Jesus. Yes, I heard. I said that right. You heard it right. The commands of Jesus. To love your neighbor as yourself. To live a holy life. To flee sin. And when we do sin, to repent and quickly follow Him. Joseph did it. He listened to God and he acted. Mary did it. She literally carried the baby in her tummy. said, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. She was faithful in seeking the kingdom. The wise men did it. They heard the, the story and they followed the stars to Jesus, right? They listened to God in a dream and acted on that knowledge. But Herod, the most powerful man in the country, he could have turned his heart to Jesus. But he said he was watching for the promised one, but he was really only seeking his own kingdom. Now, stay with me a moment. Herod would die when Jesus was still a child, just a couple of years later. Herod would die when Jesus was still down in Egypt, beyond his reach. That had to be infuriating. Herod knew that when he died, no one would mourn him. He was hated. That got to him. He had this plan. He says, when I die, he had the standing order. He says, I want you to go throughout the city and kill uh, leading people throughout the city. Not a husband and wife, just kill a husband or a wife, but kill a bunch of them. Why? I want people crying when I die. I want them mourning. They may not be mourning for me, but they will be mourning. By the way, that's what the enemy Satan does. He uses people up. To achieve his purpose. He doesn't give life. He uses them up. But in the end, Jesus would defeat Satan at the cross. By buying our freedom with his blood. And then being raised back to life on the third day. And one day soon, Satan will meet his end totally. One final thought. King Herod 
had assembled all the chief priests, right? And asked, where will this Messiah child be born? They studied. They were well read. They had all the answers. And they told the king, Bethlehem. They were right. Do you find this fascinating that the teachers of the law who spent their days saying we are waiting for the Messiah, the literal point of their life, when they heard the words of the the Magi, the Magos, they were not interested in traveling the five miles to go check it out themselves. Right now we live about about eight miles from Shields, the sporting goods stores. Those you guys that are listening online, you don't know what that is. It just, it's eight miles away. If you thought God was five miles away, like you wouldn't wait for me to finish my talk, would you? You would go. What, what if it was down in Denver? What about Aurora? Pueblo's too far. I dare say you would fly anywhere around the world. Sell whatever you needed to sell. Do whatever you needed to do to get to Jesus. Here's what I think. These dudes were more interested in the form of religion than in a relationship with him. They were more interested in what other people thought of how they looked and how they taught and how they preached and in their own plans. And they wanted to seek their own kingdom. Sometimes we see that in People that call themselves Christians, some in this room right now, you're more interested in the look of Christmas than in Jesus, the Savior. This Christmas, what a great time to examine your heart. Are you seeking the King and a relationship with Him? Or are you seeking your own kingdom? We come to a time, in fact, if we could have the ushers go ahead and get ready and As soon as you can, go ahead and start passing the elements out. This is a time of communion. And here's kind of our house rules, if you will. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised Him from the dead, man, join with us. Take the elements and hang on to those. Uh, We're going to take them all at the same time after they pass them out. So they'll start, start passing those out right now. If you're not a Christian, this is not for you. Wait. It's hidden for little kids that have not come to a knowledge of Jesus as their Savior. Don't let them take this. It's snack time is what I'm saying. It's very serious. And then here's the other thing. Is don't take this if you have something against your brother or sister. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, don't take it. The Apostle Paul says, man, that's deadly. But here's what I want you to do as they're passing this out. I want you to take this. And as you look at the bread, we we say this bread represents the body of Christ nailed to the cross. If you'll look closely, there's little holes in it, little stripes on it. His body beaten. And then you take the little cup of juice and you look at it and you go, that's to remind you of the blood of Christ. It is this picture. Now here's the thing. We say it's a memory. It is a reminder. But brothers and sisters, it's so much more than this. Right now in your tiny little hands, 
Christ Jesus is in this place. It is more than just a picture. There's something very real here that you are doing as the Holy Spirit is in this room. So take this time to say, God, am I living my life for me and building my kingdom or am I living it for you? And if you're just living it for yourself, time to repent. If there's sin in your life that's just kind of secret, not just the one-off sin, but the sin like you go, man, I'm hiding this thing from everybody, this is the time to drag that thing out in the open. Repent of it. Just name the evil and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent of this. So as we get ready to take this piece, you look at that blood, you look at that body, I want you to think back to the baby born in a stable. And you look at that and you think, a God that loved me so much that he sent his only son to die for me. That's love. Because here's the thing we know. Before we are saved by the grace of Christ, we are dead in our sins. In other words, if this makes sense to you, if you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, Jesus said, that's a gift. You can't even say that without the Spirit telling you that. So the God of heaven loved you while you were dead in your sins and said, I love you enough to send my son Jesus. Oh, we like to think of the baby in the manger. Oh, we love baby Jesus. But we don't think of the cross. When you see the manger, you see the cross. A baby born to die for the sins of all mankind. Just take a few seconds to think through what is God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords telling you right now. As a believer, what do you need to repent of? What do you need to do Oh God, I'm sorry for seeking my own kingdom, my own plans. That I found you, in you, life. As you just continue in a word of prayer, God, we remember right now the love that you had for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know the love. We see the evidence of it in our hands right now. As you take that little piece of bread, look at it. Put it in your mouth and bite down. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that little cup of juice. 
This is the blood of Christ poured out on Calvary for you. Take and drink it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all prayed and said, Amen. out on Calvary for you. Take and drink it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all prayed and said, Amen.